On today's episode of Sports and the World, I give you my response to the shootings in Dayton and El Paso, my top five rappers of all time, my W Report SummerSlam edition, and my big picture. That's today on Sports and the World. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to us, or have you listened to us, whether it's through Anchor, Google, or Apple Podcasts, thank you for making sports and the world a part of your day. I'm the Darius Brown, I hope you guys have had a great week so far, and I hope all of you are staying dry, cool, and wherever you are as well. And with that, let's dive right on in. Now... I made it a point on the very first episode of this podcast that I say I wouldn't delve super deep into politics. And because there's enough vitriol going on amongst all of us in some capacity in this country. But I felt compelled to say something because of the rhetoric on both sides of the aisle and by people far right, far left, and everything in between. So on Monday... I went on Facebook, and usually I did something in rarity, and I expressed my thoughts on something very political. So I'm going to read to you what I wrote about the shootings in Dayton and El Paso. This is what I wrote on Monday, 7.25 p.m. I was going to stay silent about these horrific acts of violence over the last couple of days, and the various fingers being pointed. But, as a human being, I felt the need to say something. First and foremost, my thoughts and prayers go to the families and friends of those lives that were lost in the hands of gunmen in Dayton, Ohio, and El Paso, Texas. The question now is, as it seems to be after every senseless act of terrorism and gun violence that transpires in this nation, is what can be done to stop this? Do we place stronger restrictions on guns? Tougher background checks? Mental health awareness? My answer is, I don't know. All of these are sound ideas. However, the one thing that we shouldn't do is blame these shootings at the hands of politicians. I see people pointing the finger at President Trump to white supremacy. My response to this is, do the victim's family really give a damn at at who these shooters supported or who they voted for? No, they don't. They want to know why he did it and what would drive a person to end lives. I'm not here to justify our president's words because some of his rhetoric can be construed as racist. However, President Trump, the NRA, or anybody else others choose to blame didn't pull that trigger. The gunman did. Quite frankly, after Sandy Hook, we blamed Obama and it got us nowhere because more shootings took place. When politicians blame one another or the other party, it's unproductive. Work together and do something or sit your crass down somewhere and let adults figure it out. That goes for Democrats and Republicans alike. In every race or groups, there are those who aren't racist, xenophobic, or full of hatred. Ask any race in this planet. It's not right to be stereotyped when someone whose race is the same commits violent crimes in the name of whatever they stand for. 9-11 exemplifies my point. Every white person isn't racist, every black man is not a thug, every Muslim isn't a terrorist, and so on. We lose men and women of all races who fought for this nation to suicide. Families are losing loved ones to homicide, cancer, and car accidents daily. Let's put things in perspective. According to the World Health Organization, Close to 800,000 die due to suicide each year, which is one person every 40 seconds. Law enforcement suicides are up 24% this year, and therefore 70 have committed suicide this year alone. That's 28 more than this time last year. I pray for these families as I'm doing with those lost in Dayton and El Paso because lives aren't defined by what political party you are. These gunmen these gunmen were cowards who killed innocent lives. I don't give a cram if they supported Democrats or Republicans. Families want answers as to why 
like the ones who we've lost to suicide. I ask you all to focus on the why, not the who. That's how we can save lives. And that was the post I put on Monday. And I got some mixed reviews. For the most part, they were they were positive. And but my my goal was to exemplify the point that we live in a nation where I do not want to give attention to who it is. And this is something that someone brought up in this post. And essentially, I'm not going to point out the person. They essentially said that I was making excuses for white terrorists. Now, anywhere in that speech, you heard me say what the gunman, the gunman did in both Dayton and El Paso were acts of cowardice. I made that clear. My point of the post was not to give the gunman attention. I focus on the families and I focus on the victims. Because do some families care about who? Yes, they do. But you add some, and I will get to that point in just a minute, is that they're concerned about that. They're not going to see the ones that they love anymore at the hands of a person who was a coward. Whether we talk about the shooter in Dayton, who was reported to be a leftist who supported Elizabeth Warren, or the gunman in El Paso who was seen as a Trump supporter. Those families don't care what the political affiliation was. They know that they have to plan funerals. And so in some cases, parents have to plan funerals for their children. That's what the concern is. That's what the focus is. Let me be clear. I, I am not here to support and say what that, what that gunman did in either situation was, was right. My penultimate goal was to get people to see we lose people to death every day. And we have to figure out how to move on. We have to figure out how do we live without them. And the only difference is is the way that they die. Because, you know, the sad unfortunate part is that we all have to go. And ideally, we want to grow old, have, you know, have the one that we love next to us, beside us, children, grandchildren. That's the goal that so many of us have. But these lives were taken innocently. My goal was to to put light on not only do we lose mass shooting victims, but we lose them to suicide. And they're always trying to figure out the why. We're trying to figure out the why. We want to know what drove them to do this. Why? You have many of those who are anti-Trump, anti-Republican, anti-Democrat, anti-Elizabeth Warren, anti-whoever else is running. But what would drive them to do what they did? And I'm going to talk about that on the back end of this show. But my point is, I do not spotlight the shooter. There was a hero who saved lives in El Paso. Those are the stories I want to talk about. I want to hear the lives of a family. These shooters, they're cowards and they're terrorists. And I keep emphasizing that because I made that point in my post. And, and I will say that I sounded like a Fox News pundit, by the way. And this is clear. The guy who did it in El Paso, FYI, said that you're going to blame Trump, but don't blame Trump. So, I want to talk about three situations, three scenarios from an excellent piece that came out in Time Magazine titled, Your Heart is Bleeding in Every New Shooting. Melissa Chan from Time.com. She wrote this piece. She wrote this piece a couple of days ago. And, and I wanted to share a couple of stories. One from Columbine, one from Sandy Hook, and one from the Pulse Nightclub in my home state of Florida, in Orlando. 
And I want to talk about Columbine. I want to talk about Columbine. And this is all from the Time Magazine post. Tom Mauser, when learning about the two mass shootings that had killed more than 30 people within 24 hours, he warned his wife not to turn on the TV. Their 15-year-old son, Daniel, was murdered at Columbine High School in 1999. And he says that it's blurry in his mind. And that's from Columbine. He doesn't want to turn the television. I want to go talk about Sandy Hook. Nicole Hockley, whose six-year-old son Dylan was killed in the 2012 shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Connecticut. She says, you feel like your heart is bleeding in every new shooting. She says, she felt rage at the government in action to combat gun violence and deep anguish for the families of the dead in Texas and Ohio whose lives would never be the same. She says, this is going to be a very long lifetime process of never ever really healing. She furthermore says, but just putting a scar over the wounds in your heart. That's from the Sandy Hook victim, the family. I'm going to share a tidbit of from the Sandy Hook story after I finish this last one. And lastly, the Pulse nightclub. Ariane Guerrero's brother, Juan Ramon Guerrero, was shot dead at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando in 2016. She was hopeful her brother was still alive when she and her family entered the hospital looking for him. She then saw a piece of paper with names of victims, including her brother. She says, there's nothing that anybody could have said that made me, that, excuse me, that made anything make sense or make me feel better at all. She used to sob after hearing of mass shootings, but became numb. It doesn't get better. You have no choice but to live with it. I just lived my life as I could die in the next 30 minutes. That was from Paul. Those are three stories. From Columbine, Sandy Hook, and Pulse. Three of the mass shootings that have taken place in this country. In this century. Within the last 10 years. And I want to put emphasis by sharing what Nicole Hockley said. And again, her son Dylan. In the month after her son was killed... Hockley still called Dylan to dinner, still looked in her car's rear view mirror to see his face in the car seat, and still reached for his hand when she crossed the street. These things become a part of your daily life, and suddenly there's only space where that person once was. I urge all of you, if you want the link to that article, I'll be more than happy to post it on the on my Facebook page for the for the podcast because it's a very touching piece, and that was the point that I was emphasizing. I understand the motivation of these shoes. I'm not oblivious to that. None of us are. My point is that the media after every shooting is going to tell you we need this and we need that and I'm going to talk about that as I mentioned on the back end of this podcast these families right now want answers they want to know why they know the who they know what they, they want to know why was it simply because the Mexican, yes, in El Paso, yes, but in Dayton, what was the motivation? My point is that they'll never truly know why, why my son, why my daughter had to be killed. Why? And that's the point I emphasize, and and I understand when people can say, well, it may come off like, I'm not defending anybody. You didn't see me defend anybody. I went after the politician. 
I went after them. Because we reach a point in our lives that we've had, in the last 20 years, we've had two Democratic presidents, two Republican presidents, both a Republican and Democratic-controlled government, and nothing is done. And when I see on the news, Beto O'Rourke, Booth on Face the Nation, calling the president, and you heard me say, listen, I get it. I understand the president's rhetoric. I'm not, a, I'm not always the biggest fan. But you tell that to those families, well, the shooter listened to President Trump. And that's what he did. That's not comforting that family. They wanted to stop. Like Nicole Hockley said, the inaction of the government. And as I close out this segment, I simply say this to all of you. What makes America what it is, is that we have the right to feel safe. We have a right to live our lives. And when things happen to us in life, such as these horrific man shootings, let's be clear, don't give your attention to them. Why? Why is this happening? Why did someone's daughter, someone's brother, someone's son, some kids, some people's grandparents, why do they have to die? So before we start putting this a left-right issue, this is a people issue, this is an American issue. And we're better, we're better than the rhetoric. Figure it out. I don't, like I say, I don't care if you're a Democrat, Republican, solutions, answers. And I hope and pray that we get there. And once again, one last time, I'm going to delve into this much more on the back end of this episode. But when we come back with sports in the world, I want to get into something on a list that has angered a lot of people. And that's and I'm going to give you my top five rappers of all time. And that's next. You're on sports and the world. And welcome back into sports and the world. I'm the Darius Brown. And if you're listening to us through Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, or Radio Public, I truly do appreciate it. Also, some social media to throw out. It's at Sports the World on both Twitter and Instagram. And the new Facebook page is up with Sports and the World. You can go out be posting content on there, sports and otherwise. And as well as go to the About tab, hit the link to listen to not only this episode, but any other previous episode, including my Tuesday edition of Sports in the World, which is all about football. And so with that, let's delve in to this. Recently, there came out a list of the top 50 greatest rappers of all time. If you've seen it on social media, you know it's terrible. You know it's garbage. But here's the thing. I agree with... Listen, I don't, I don't disagree with the names on the list. Let's be clear. But the order. I think that's what has people triggered. Is it that... Listen. There's, there's rappers on here that... I'll put the ones that I didn't put on my list. Like, you have... Rappers like, you know... Big Boy, Yeezy, Snoop, Cam... And where they're ranked... And who they're ranked ahead of... That's what should piss people off. Because, look... I understand why people are pissed. So I decided... Let me give you my top five... Rappers of all time. Listen... And if there's a problem with my list, I'll tell you right now. There's a voice message link where you go to the about page, you see that link, leave a message, and I've shared it on on the uh, on the Facebook page as well. Let me know what your top five rappers list of all time, and I'll play it on the episode. And let's compare, contrast, alike, and different. So with that being said, let's go into my top five all-time rappers. Number five is Eminem. Eminem, shock rap. 
I think Eminem brought a lot of shock value to rap. He was very, you didn't see a lot of Eminem. And I think we have this thing about, you know, we had this thing about Vanilla Ice and we had things where we talk about, oh, well, we don't need white rappers. And then you go, you listen to Eminem, you go, hmm. And then, you know, because listen, he's not the Beastie Boys. There's a little separate version of rap and hip hop. What I always tell people is that you can't put color on music. I said you can only, you put the music and you focus on that. Eminem has defined that since the minute he picks up a microphone. And that's why he's number five on this list. Go listen to anything on the Marshall Mathers LP, Stain, Real Slim, Shady, Kim. Also, like, lose yourself in the way you lie he did with Rihanna. Excellent song. I, you know, listen to the thought-provoking lyrics on it. And on the list, he ranked number 28. So keep that in mind. My number four is Nas. When I say the name Illmatic, people think that could be the best hip-hop album ever made. And he he beat somebody who's going to be on this list later with in the rap war with the diss track Ether. You probably know who it is. If you don't, I'll get to that when it gets there. And listen, when I was, you know, as I do prepare for the podcast, I'm doing my my work or anything of that nature. You know, the other day I put on some good, you know, I put on music and I put on Surviving the Time. I listened to If I Rule the World, Hate Me Now, and I said, you, you tend to forget how good Nas is. And I said, we got to put him on this list. And if you go look at the list, Nas is number two. I'm not saying that's high. But when I read you the other three names, you can maybe say yes, no, or maybe say yeah, you, you understand. And number three is Rakim. His 87 debut album, Paid in Full, it set the blueprint for guys like Nas and Kendrick Lamar, who I'll also talk about on the back end of this list. One of the things is that Rakim, great lyricist, you know, I think we get lost generationally that his music still influences guys like Kendrick Lamar, who I am very, very high on. I mean, I'll I'll get, like I said, once again, I'll get to that in a moment. I've always been high on Kendrick Lamar, super high, and then when you listen to Rakim, you see the influence. You hear the influence. Storytelling. I always talk about telling a story. You have to tell a story because back then, for, you know, rap. You get something. You got to put this generation. You got to separate. Because now, what's the story being told? Most songs about storytelling. Some songs are for commercial use, which is fine. But when you think of rap for the last 25, 30 years, it's about telling a story. Where's the storytelling? And that's one of the things where comes into question. I never questioned Rakim and the storytelling. And if you want further help from that, listen. Listen to Paid in Full. I know you got Soul and Juice. Go listen to that. And if you're wondering where Rakim ended up on this list, he ended up 12th. And I'm going to read to you the names after once again. <sighs> anyway. And number two is the guy that Nas beat in the in the great rap war disc, Jay-Z. Listen, you know, I'll give credit to Billboard magazine for this. Because I agree with it. He grew from each of his albums from Reasonable Doubt up to now, up to his work. Even, even when he worked with Kanye West. He, he I could sit there and say, you could argue maybe some songs aren't great, but you couldn't argue about the album. And that's what I always say. And this this top five list exemplifies that. Where you can't really say, man, that wasn't, that was a terrible album. You would still listen to it. You would still listen to it. And the number one person, you could argue none of the songs were bad. But for Jay-Z, you could argue maybe some songs were better than others. But you couldn't argue about the quality of the material. And quite frankly, he's a mogul. When you think of Jay-Z now... You don't, you don't necessarily think of, you know, we accomplished rapper. I think it was a mogul. He's a businessman. 
sports and music. He has domination. And out of all, you know, he's one of the ones, if not the first, to have that crossover. Like he essentially, he can walk into a business room, he can walk into a studio, and you know it's going to be great. He's going to come out on top. That's Jay Z in a nutshell. But the number one person, oh, by the way, sorry about that, Jay Z ended up being top on this list of the top 50 greatest rappers of all time. But my number one rapper of all time, Notorious B.I.G. I ask you this, and I dare you to name a bad Biggie song. Juicy, hypnotized, more money, more. Listen, I could go on with the the discs and the songs, but I dare you to name one bad song he ever did. And in some cases, you just flat out can't. And you know what? That speaks to his career, and that speaks to what he did in the time he was here. Because when you ask people, and this is, and you may get that, well, why didn't you put Tupac on this list? And it's not a knock on Tupac whatsoever. But, you know, back in my generation, when I grew up, I was born in 88. So I kind of, I was young, but I knew what, you know, I knew what music was. So you knew, I would knew like a kid elementary school. We knew who Pac and Biggie were. But as time progressed, time favored Biggie more musically. No one knocks like Tupac with Dear Mama, California. Nobody, nobody knocked Tupac for that. But most people thought that maybe Tupac was commercial. And listen, and I, the only reason why he's not on this list was because it was very hard. Because the criteria was A, the lyrics. B, and I also factored in the quality of the music. And see, and this is most importantly, the your albums. And and I think when you take a biggie in his work, he was better than Pac in that way. And this is clearly an East Coast, West Coast argument, because you know, people say, well, Pac people would argue that every person on this list always oh, majority East Coast and you're dissing the West Coast. No, I'm not. But if you ask people that, if you ask hip hop heads, I don't think I'm going to get a big pushback by not putting Pac in my top five. Because listen, there are a lot of people that I could have put on this list. Like I say, I knew Biggie and Jay-Z and Rakim was going to be on this list. It's a matter of order. But four and but five and four were very close. Very close for different reasons. People are going to say, well, maybe you should have put Oh, you know, push it in like, no. And by, you know, like I say, Biggie on this list, you want to know where Biggie ended up? Biggie was eighth. I'm just going to read to you really quick who was ahead of Biggie on this list. Jadakiss, Fabulous, Black Thought, Styles P, Joe Budden, Nas, and Jay-Z. Two of those people made this list. But there, you can't sit there and tell me that you're gonna put. I like Jada Kiss, and I like, but fabulous. You're gonna put fabulous ahead of Big. Okay, here's the people you put ahead of Eminem. You, Method Man, Twister, Royce, DMX, Red. You put Red Man ahead of him. Okay, I'm gonna stop before I hurt myself. But you know, it ain't. But these were some of the best of the rest that I had. I had Andre 3000. He, you know, once again, you know, thanks to Billboard helping me, you know, help me find the right words because on my list, because I'm like, ah. he was an eccentric emo rapper. Go listen to Speaker Box, The Love Below. Listen to his part. Listen, no diss to Big Boy, who made the list as well. But Andre 3000, listen, people like, ah, that was, that was one of the ones that was like, I didn't know. And he kind of, he edged out Eminem. Like, Eminem edged him out, I should say. Listen, Kendrick Lamar, when I say Mad City to Pimp a Butterfly, he's the best of this era. I argue that. This guy has a Pulitzer. He's the only rapper in the history of that award to have a Pulitzer Prize for his for music. He's a genius, lyrically. Lauren Hill, the Fuji, the miseducation of Lauren Hill. 
her voice. You don't think rap. You think, boy, her hip-hop, she's smooth. She should have been on the list. And Drake, listen, he's singing to Lamar in this era. The one knock I always say on Drake, and listen, and this could be personal, but I think Drake's personality is what I think is like, okay. He has a great personality, do not get me wrong. But it was very hard for me. And listen, I, I listen to a lot of Kendrick. I listen to a lot of Drake. I listen to every person on this list. But nowadays, I do listen to Drake. And I do listen to, I probably listen to Kendrick just as much. And my point is that, listen, I don't expect everybody to agree with my list. But it's a list that I try to be honest with. And I'm going to be honest. This list, once again, here's the thing. Someone explain to me why LL Cool J. I want people to I want people to to fully grasp this. Why in the world do you have someone like Snoop ahead of LL Cool J? That's I'm not dissing Snoop. Now, if you would have had you know the gap between Snoop at 34 and Cool J at 46, you tell me Little Wayne, Killer Mike. Ice Cube, AZ, Mace, Stack Bundles, A-Ball, Big Fun of the Game are all better than LL Cool J. Okay. Okay. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you what's going to be better. My WWE Report, the SummerSlam edition, and that's next here on Sports and the World. And welcome back into sports and the world. And one more time, the social media for the podcast is at Sports the World on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to leave a voice link, you can go to the Sports in the World Facebook page. You click there, go to the About tab, and it's right there. You can click it. Leave comments, good, bad, or indifferent. And I, I want to get into this SummerSlam call and my predictions. You know, of the big four pay-per-views, listen, so far we've had the Royal Rumble and we've had WrestleMania. This is SummerSlam, so, you know, with Survivor Series down the road. When you you compare it to the big four, and I look at it and I go, some of these matches, and I'll get to them and talk about individually, storyline development. And because it feels like a lot of it was either some of it was very organic, some of it was very okay. We know it works, so we have to make it work. And B, you know, or excuse me, or C, we just throw it together, create this faux storyline for us to believe it. And so with that, I want to get into my predictions and the matches themselves. Listen, for the Cruiserweight Championship, you got Drew Gulak versus Oni Lorican. And the thing is, listen, we don't listen, we don't give 205 live enough credit. You know, I really like Gulak to retain here simply because I think of the champions when you think of like Tony Nese, Cedric Alexander, others that have held the belt. It's up with Drew Gulak. I feel like, okay, this guy, you know, this guy absolutely could go on a run. And a match I would like to see somewhere down the road, competition, and people may say this is way out of left field, but I would really like to see him and Chad Gable fight for himself because I've been high on Chad Gable. And I think that's one of the smarter things WWE did was put Chad Gable in 205 Live because there was no space on the main roster. But no knocking Onzi Loken, he's a he's been a he fought his way to get here. But I think Drew Gulak retains. And then we have Goldberg and Dolph Ziggler. And all I gotta say is is that remember what I talked about where they just threw it together, this is what happened. And the basis was apparently Ziggler name dropped Goldberg, you know, weeks ago. And now all of a sudden he accepts and I go, that's not good enough. Simply because for two reasons. First and foremost, 
this was the only thing. Only, this is probably the only match that had less than that had zero, zero buildup, zero. You heard rumors, but there was no legit feud built here, and that's what troubles me. And and I understand that you want to get stars on your biggest program. Like I say, Royal Rumble, Royal Rumble, SummerSlam. WrestleMania, Survivor, you want stars and you want your top star. I get that. What I'm not understanding is, is that there was no build. And that leads me to the second thing. Why have this match with no build? Listen, I'm going to talk about a match shortly that had build but not believable. But, I, but what I can't say is that the match is terrible. It's just like a lack of build. This one had zero build. It was a swerve. And, and I fully expect Goldberg to win. I Because this is probably his last SummerSlam. I fully expect him to win. I fully expect him to do his thing. Because there's been no build and no hype. So we can move on and digress. Next, you got The Fiend and Bray Wyatt versus The Demon, Finn Balor. Listen, these this, is a, this could be a very good match. Because you have two... You're going to see the two dynamic personalities. In WWE, you're going to see a fiend that most recently, and the demon that's been there for years. In terms of, in terms of the character, we know Bray Wyatt, the wife, in terms of character, and and I can see that feuding, and I can see that working, because would I like to see Finn Balor more? Of course, but but my thing is is that they're building this fiend in a very big way, attacking Mick Foley, attacking Kurt Angle. You know, when he first need to attack Finn Balor. You know, WWE, they can't blow this. And and I fully expect, and this is very hard, but I fully expect Bray Wyatt to win. Because to me, if he goes in and loses, it kind of negates what he did the last couple of weeks on Raw. Because listen, the promos have been great for Bray Wyatt, aka The Fiend. They've been great, they've been super, they've been fantastic. And, and I think that Finn Balor can take a loss. And I feel like it's not going to make me go like, oh man, he should have really... Because I never really thought this as, well, gee, Finn Balor's going to win this match. And that's not disrespect to Finn Balor. He's the Intercontinental Champion. He's the first Universal Champion. Both of the Fun fact, both of these men were champions of the company. Something to think about. You wouldn't know that if you didn't read the pages. So... Talents there, but I fully expect the fiend to win. Next, you got KO versus Shane McMahon. First and foremost, I like this feud from three different perspectives. First, I like it the fact that they're making KO a Stone Cold S figure. Listen, no one can be Stone Cold. No one can. But this is probably the closest thing when it gets to Stone Cold. Okay? Would I like Stone Cold to come out there and help him stun the McMahon again? Sure. But my biggest thing is, is that we need that personality back because that's what made the Attitude Era great and kind of seeping through the ruthless aggression. So it's great to see that personality come out. You know, secondly, and this is what I say, if you put a McMahon on a match, in a match, on a big pay-per-view, it better have a great storyline, and this one does. Because sometimes it just feels like you're throwing it together. And, and mind you, this is probably the one feud that Shane McMahon has been in where I'm fully invested in. No disrespect to the Roman Reigns feud, but definitely no disrespect to the Miz feud, but I'm fully invested because I can sit back and say, KO is going to win this match. When, listen, when KO is in the ring, it's great. He's great on the microphone and it works. Shane McMahon, he's great on the microphone. But when in those feuds that he had with Roman Reigns and he had with the Miz, they was more believable. They weren't believable. And and you know, so I picked Kale to win. You know, not see hands, but I expected a good match. And for the US Championship, AJ Styles and Ricochet, I'm not gonna really say much about this. I expect AJ Styles to retain simply because I think you just gave him the belt. This feud with Ricochet could probably maybe see maybe down it's not gonna go to some in the WrestleMania but you can definitely pull a couple of more months maybe two out of this 
you know, Charlotte Flair versus Trish Stratus. Look, remember the where when I said that, you know, I didn't, you know, like the storyline wasn't great, but, you know, I don't knock the match. This is it. Because this is a very good match on paper. Because I could argue that these two women are arguably one of the best, if not the best in their generation, in the era of WWE. I could argue that Trish was the best wrestler, female wrestler of the attitude. I could argue the same thing for Charlotte Flair now. My only knock has been the feud and trying to make it believable. Because, it, you know, there's no, like, listen, I'm not going to argue on paper the match, but how do we get here? What's the motivation? And if we're saying, you know, this, this, and this, I'm like, okay, I'm invested in it. And I expect Trish to win because, once again, it's in Toronto and Charlotte can absorb a loss. And that's the theme. I think, who can absorb a loss? And, like, I, I truly do believe that Trish is going to win. For the SmackDown Women's Championship, Bailey versus Ember Moon. Listen, how we got here is the, the roundabout way. After a match, she picks Ember. Basically, Ember eclipses Bailey, and Bailey gives her a Bailey to belly hug. And you know, there's some legit tension there. What I like about this match is is that I think when you look back at their NXT career and I go and I've seen the work of Ember Moon when she's on the main roster but especially at NXT it's a great match and I truly do believe in my heart that Ember's going to win and become the new champion simply because I think that Bayley as champion there's not much more you can do with her from a storyline standpoint and who she's going to fight next I mean I have a couple of ideas who she could but I think that as of now, I think give it to Ember. Let's see what Ember does. And for the Raw Women's Championship, you got the man versus Natalia. It's a submission match. And automatically, I what I say to this is that they've made Natalia to look like a real badass here. And I say, you know what? She's been a heel before. So it, it wasn't that much more. I mean, if you took a face and tried to make it a complete heel, that's, that's worse. But there was origins of healingness in her. And there you go. You know, sharpshooting, you know, Becky Lynch. Lynch and, you know, her knee. And then she, she did it to Ember Moon on the Go Home Show of SmackDown. They're trying to build her up, and I don't have a problem with that. But I'm going to talk about those two women's matches and things that I would love to see on the back end of when I go through these matches. The WWE Championship, we got Kofi Kingston versus Randy Orton. This is probably, this should be the main event. This should be, simply because this has legit feud it has origin. It has a great origin story from 10, 11 years ago. It has a excellent, excellent competitors in here. And more importantly, this is it. Listen, I genuinely, you got me to say that, listen, they don't like each other. There's a mutual respect, but they don't like each other. Because if you guys remember as long as I've been watching wrestling, listen, Randy Orton did hold Kofi back. Kofi could have been a champion, I could argue seven, eight years ago. But Randy Orton squashed it. And now you build all of this up to SummerSlam and I'm and I'm and I'm sold. I'm all in. I'm all in on this simply because it's believable. There's a good origin story and most importantly, these two can legit put on probably the best match of the night. And I do believe that listen I think Kofi's time is up. I think they're going to give it to Randy Orton. Simply because putting the belt on Randy, I think it makes sense. I think that if you're going to do it anywhere, you do it on one of your big four pay-per-views. You don't have them lose on Extreme Rules. Right? This is the right way to lose it. 
Listen, it's going to be a great match. Best match of the night quality. And lastly, the Universal Championship, Brock Lesnar says, Rollins. Look, all I'm going to say is this that, look, anybody who doesn't believe that Brock Lesnar is not going to win, I think, simply because if Seth Rollins wins this match, I'd be like, mm. I'd be genuinely surprised. Genuinely surprised. Because here's the thing. When Brock Lesnar came back and that music hit at Money in the Bank, I said, there went the Universal title once again. Because if you believe reports, it wasn't, it was an issue of fiduciary consequences on why Seth Rollins lost the belt. He wasn't believable as a champion. He wasn't making money. To me, do I like Seth the face? Sure, I equally like Seth the heel. Certain people in this company, I truly believe, are just flat out better heel. Seth Rollins had that run the heel with the authority was very good. When you see him as a face, you're like, okay, I can understand it from a fair perspective why people feel that way. I get it. But I fully expect Brock Lesnar to destroy this man. This could probably be one of the shorter matches of the night. Because there's no way Seth is healthy enough. K Faber, not. That man is legit hurt. You fight him every night since, it seems, basically since WrestleMania. So, I think Brock retains, and we'll see who the next in line is going to be. Listen, some probable matches, you know, the IC Championship, Nakamura Ali, I, I, I would assume they keep it on Nakamura. If anything's going with that Roman Reigns thing, I'd be shocked. But they do put in a match. I expect Roman Reigns to win. But I want to go to what I want to see really quickly. I want to see Ronda Rousey or Sasha Banks. I want to see him involved in either one or both of these matches. I want to see Ronda Rousey get involved in that Natalya Becky Lynch match. Because remember, Natalya was trained by Ronda Rousey. And Becky Lynch pinned, quote, air quotes, <laughs> Ronda Rousey. So... I want to see which route they're going to go. Are they going to have Ronda help Becky or help Natalia? Sasha Banks, at some point, we got to get the Sasha Banks back. You know, whether it's heels, listen, heels Sasha Banks is mwah, muy bueno. It's very good. So, I want to see that. But listen, I want to also briefly talk about Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross winning the Women's Tag Team Championships in the Kabuki Warriors. Listen, you can't build that matchup for them to lose at SummerSlam. I say, you know, listen, excuse me, when you have it on SmackDown, you defend the belt, you know, you have them defended on SmackDown and Raw and everywhere else. And have them lose the belt, and they were the first team eliminated, were the Iconics. So that let me know that, okay, they were done with them. Like, okay, we're making it clear there's new champion. Listen, out of those four tag teams who fought, and that fatal four-way limitless contradiction, I'm not getting into that. But the only two organic teams were the ones that lost. They lost. They were the first two teams out. That was the icon, and that was Fire and Ice. Or Fire and Desire. Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose. Kabuki Wars were thrown together. Bliss and Cross were thrown together. But the WWE said, boom. I'm not upset at the idea. I want to see how this works out. But my question is, where do the Kabuki Warriors go from here? Because to me, they should have been champions, but where are they going to go from here? From a long-term standpoint. And that's my SummerSlam prediction slash other stuff. But when we come back, we're going to wrap up the back end with my big picture. And that's next here on Sports and the World. And welcome back into the final segment here of sports and the world. And if you've been listening to us this far, I truly do appreciate it. And I want to get right into my big picture. In our lives, we try to look for reasons. We try to look for for answers. And more importantly, who do we place blame? Who do we put at fault? And I want to talk about, in my big picture, the blame game. Because in our lives, some of us, many of us, or maybe even none of us, 
sometimes we blame something or someone when something happens, whether it's tragic, whether it's happy, you know, whatever emotion we look for. Well, who's to blame for that person being so happy? Who's to blame that person is sad? We look for somebody to blame. We want answers. We want someone to answer them. We look for accountability, which I talk about here on on the show. And this issue of guns and mass shootings is no different. So there was a USA Today IPSOS poll, IPSOS poll that came out a couple of days ago. You know, after the shootings in Dayton, El Paso, and this comes from Susan Page, USA Today. And within the poll that was done, it was said that Americans overwhelmingly blame the mental health system, racism, and white nationalism and loose gun laws for a series of mass shootings that have shaken communities across the country. So once again, Americans saying we blame the mental, mental health, racism, white nationalism, and gun laws. So we look for something to blame. We look for something or someone to blame in situations of this magnitude. Because we want answers. We want it to be fixed. It's, you know, if you get in a car accident, someone's to blame. If you're, if something bad happened to you, someone has to be to blame. Even if it's yourself. Blame and accountability has to be put forward. And there are a couple of other facts that came from this poll. The survey that was really struck me and it said a majority of a majority of those surveyed and 59% of those were Republicans say that say the U.S. Senate should pass two measures that are approved this year by the House that would tighten background checks on gun purchases so almost 60% of Republicans that were surveyed said that the U.S. Senate which is Republican control should pass measures that were passed by the House this year So, once again, this speaks to the point that I talked about in my opening segment. This is not a Democrat issue, not a Republican issue, it's a people issue. Republicans want, listen, let's look at these House measures, let's pass them. And overall, two-thirds, 67% support passage of the bills. So, you have the support overall to get these bills passed. Democrats and Republicans. And the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has refused to bring them up for consideration. So, in essence, he will not bring it up. And furthermore, more than half of those surveys say McConnell should cancel the Senate's August recess to hold a vote. So, once again, you have people demanding answers from government. It's what I said about politicians. This is the thing that pisses me off. I don't care if it's Democrat or Republican. Do you see what happened? Not, no major gun legislation has been passed the last 25 years. And that's when both parties have control of the White House and or Congress. So fix it and get it done. Because the people are telling you that it's mental health. You may not can fix the racism or the white nationalism, but you could do something about the gun laws and maybe the mental health system. I think that's on universally both sides. And you have dissent on both, which is fine as well. But here's something that also struck me. And this, by the way, in this survey, is a sample of 1,004 adults, 446 of them, excuse me, Democrats, 392 Republicans, 100 Independents. And the credibility interval is plus or minus three and a half points. So that's also important. So when the question was asked, how much responsibility do you believe the following for mass shootings in the United States? So this was asked Republicans and Democrats in those polls. So when it came to mental health, 74% of Democrats, 77% of Republicans said it's mental health. So it's plus or minus three Republicans. Racism and white nationalism, listen, overwhelmingly 84 to 57% Democrat, Republican, respectively, for that. So overwhelmingly, Democrats blame that. 
Loose gun laws. Once again, 83% of Democrats, 51% of Republicans say it's loose gun laws. Plus 32 for Democrats. Gun manufacturers and the NRA, 72% and 37% Democrat-Republican respectively. For that, for the gun manufacturers and the NRA, plus 35 for Democrats. Violent video games, 47% Democrats and 60% Republicans, plus 13 Republicans. Blaming President Trump, overwhelmingly, 74% of Democrats and 23% Republicans blame President Trump. Plus 51 for Democrats. And it's 66-29% of those who blame Republicans in Congress, 66% Democrats, and only 29% Republicans blame Republicans in Congress. And for those blaming Democrats in Congress, it's 34% Democrats and only 51% Republicans. So, the takeaway is this. The only issue that Democrats, the only issues that Democrats are saying, these are the problems. It's racism and white nationalism, loose gun laws, the NRA, President Trump, and Republicans in Congress. They're telling, that's what Democrats are saying is the problem. Republicans are telling you that it's violent video games and Democrats in Congress. But the one thing that was universally close was the mental health system. Because it was plus three Republicans. Remember, the credibility interval was plus or minus three. So it went three and a half this way, three and a half that way. And it speaks to the point that I mentioned earlier. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I have the answer. But one thing that I do know is that the last two figures is what troubles me. Because once again... You have Democrats blaming Republicans and and you have Democrats blaming Republicans and Republicans blaming Democrats. And and quite frankly, that to me does not factor. It does not factor and register with me because both of these parties had control of the White House and both control of Congress. Many mass shootings have taken place with nothing to show for it, nothing was done. So blaming one another is getting us nowhere. I don't listen, and let me make this very, very clear. I am not here to defend any politician because I'm holding them accountable. Nicole Hockley, the Sandy Hook, she wants the answer. She didn't say it didn't matter what her party affiliation was. She wants the government. It's the government, full of Democrats and Republicans, to figure it out. We have a Republican president and a Republican Senate in a democratically controlled house. People want answers. And this is not the first time. People want answers. And that's why I go to the why. And when people thought I was saying, well, who doesn't matter? Do you think people are going to remember who these shooters are? The communities will know. But what they will always want to know is why did this happen in our city? Why here? Why did my son, why did my daughter, why did my brother, why did my sister, why did my mother, why did my father have to die in the way that they died? That's something that's on politicians. Because the only thing that can be universally agreed upon by Democrats and Republicans in this country is mental health. And that part, I agree with. And like some psychologists and psych, oh, mental, like this is not important. I told them to shut up. Because what normal person do you know would, for instance, would go up to a school and shoot children? Who do you know? What normal person would go into a Walmart and shoot up people of color? Who do you know would just shoot out people having fun? What kind of normal people do that? There's a psychological aspect to it. And it has to be addressed. Because that seems to be the only thing that Democrats and Republicans agree on. That's a talking point. Listen, there could be universal agreement upon whether it's loose gun laws 
and it's racism and white nationalism. But the one thing these parties can agree on is that the mental health system. That's the starting point. Listen, a journey begins with one step. A journey that could possibly lead to lesser mass shootings, even no mass shooting, starts with one simple issue to focus on. Mental health. And that's why I mentioned the suicide that's taken place in this country. 800,000 people, one every 40 seconds, die. People who serve this country are dying at their own hands. Mental health awareness. That to me, that's a talking point. And I don't care what those psychiatrists say. Like I said, excuse my French, I don't give a damn what they say. Because you can't tell me that, like I just said, would a normal person do the things that I just referenced? No. I don't care if they're Trump supporters. I don't care if they're Bernie supporters. I don't care. What I care about is that why, what would drive them to do that? It's the why. Because we obviously know the who. We know who it is. Why is this happening? And I'm tired of politicians, and that's what pitched me up with Beto O'Rourke. You do not sit there and say, well, it's the president's fault. Okay, is his rhetoric dangerous to some degree? Sure. But you cannot sit there and tell me that, okay, well, it's the president's fault that that guy shot up those people. But yet, here's the thing. I did, in the Dayton shooting, it was reported that the person, the shooter, was a left, was the person who supported Elizabeth Warren. I don't hear people having the discussion of, well, you know what? I blame Elizabeth Warren. Because maybe she didn't put out the rhetoric. But listen. The point is, is that I don't give a damn who they supported. They want families want answers. Some will always, some of these families care who. But I'm telling you, a great majority of those stories I read, they don't care if it's the who, but it's the why. Columbine, I was 11 years old when Columbine happened. Do you think my parents cared who did it? They wanted to know why did it happened and could it happen to where I went to school. I was in elementary school. That was their concern. And those are the concerns of parents living across this country. Whether they wear manga hats, whether they are blue cop, it doesn't matter. It's superfluous. It's superfluous. And the post that I read you on Facebook exemplifies the point that we're losing too many lives, whether it's in our own hands or in the hands of cowards. And families want to know why. What can we do to give answers? Because in the end, history will morally remember, history will all remind you of the who. But history cannot, a textbook cannot explain to fully in, in direct and unbiased context the why. Families want answers as to why. And I'm not going to apologize for that Facebook post because I didn't offend anybody. That was not the goal. My goal was to highlight people want answers and politicians in this poll are basically saying the same thing that I basically said from when I made that post on Monday. Politicians are blaming one another at higher rates. But yet we have a talking point, mental health. Okay, because the one thing that seems to be a great distance on is that, listen, we're never going to fully agree because the, the gun manufacturing NRA, listen, that can, listen, we need to have a talking point and that's mental health. Because, it, listen, only 3% more Republicans said it was mental health awareness. Plus or minus three was the credibility interval. If you put plus or minus on any of these, it's not going to change the scope of who believes it. Plus or minus three Republican could be plus or minus three Democrat. People want answers. They don't give a damn whether they're an elephant or a donkey. Because everybody is acting like a bunch of elephants tooting their trunks in there and like a bunch of jackasses. And people want answers. 
And with that, the answer I'm going to give to you is that we are out of time for this episode of Sports in the World. And once again, I thank you for listening. And once again, the language, I apologize, but it's a very passionate issue. Because I'm not a parent. I have nephews. I want children to be safe. I want people to be safe. So that's my thing there. Once again, thank you again for tuning into the episode. Come join me on Tuesday for the football edition of Sports in the World. And I'll see you right back here on Friday where you and I will go on this journey of sports and the world.